The following recording is a presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome your visit to our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. If you would, turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the 12th lesson we teach on the Great Commission. And right now we're talking about the effects, the effects of the commission upon, upon us. And last week we talked about the effects of the commission on the church. And I said two things. I said first that the commission affirms the mission of the church. Uh, boy, you know, there's so many people out there today, they're so mixed up on what the mission of the church is. Uh, we have people all the time come walking through our door looking for money or looking for, for some help somehow. And they think that's the mission of the church. And I'm sorry, but that is not the mission of the church, my friends. That's the mission of you and I as individual Christians to help the people in need of help. But it is not. God did not commission the church to, to do those things. That's not a part of the mission of the church. And today people just don't understand that. They, they have the wrong impression about the mission of the church. And, and what have we learned from the Great Commission? That What is the mission of the church? Anyone give me one of the, one of the points? It's to do what? It's to go. That's right. The church has been commissioned to go and do what when we go? To go and preach. Go and preach the gospel. And, and then those that will believe, what are we to do as a church? We're to, we're to baptize them and then we're to teach them. So that's the, that's the mission of the church, folks. It's to go and preach and baptize and teach. And if we as a church are not doing those things, then we might be doing really good things, but we're not, we're not doing the, what God has commissioned the church to do. And we had said secondly last week that the commission uh, appropriates the resources of the church. What did Paul say? Uh, he said that, that God gave pastors and and preachers and teachers and evangelists and apostles for what for the perfecting of the who saints for the work of the ministry yes then that's the that's the resources of the church you and i we are the resources of the church and 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 the great commission has affected the church in that it appropriates its resources so we have all these things that are, that are generated within the church by the Great Commission. Now today I'd like to look at the effects of the Great Commission. Secondly, on the believers. That's you and I. Or you and me, I'm sorry. Uh, the effect of the Great Commission on the believers. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 2 together. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. We read here, And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sin, Wherein in time past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, and that word means manner of life, in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. But God who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us or made us alive together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Now look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We haven't prayed yet, so let us pray before we go any further. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we have together. I pray that your Holy Spirit would teach our hearts and minds the truth of your word. And I pray, Lord, that you would instruct us today and help us to see how that you've changed us and how that you've affected us. That we would be faithful servants unto you. Thank you for this time we have together now. Blessed in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, we all know that upon our salvation we were made new creatures. 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So we all understand that upon our salvation, we were made a new creature or a new creation. A a new man lives within us. So if this is true, and since it is the word of God, it is true, this would imply that salvation and the subsequent commission given to us by virtue of our salvation has indeed affected us. In Romans chapter 7, Paul states, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. In other words, Paul says, what I should do is ever present with me because of the new man within me, because of the new creation in me. I know what I ought to do. But he says, the problem is I just, my flesh battles and sometimes I, I find not the way to do it. He goes on in verse 19, For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. How many of you face that struggle? We we know what we ought to do, and we don't want to do the wrong things. But we just seem to do them, don't we? Like stubborn, hard-headed children, we do what we know we shouldn't do. We do what we know the Father has told us not to do. Verse 20, now if I do that I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And here we see Paul is talking about this constant struggle between the new nature that we have in Christ Jesus and the old nature that is, that is wrapped up in our flesh. You see, if a person is truly born again, he or she will no longer desire to do the things they used to do. We won't want to do those things anymore. A new desire will begin to take hold in their life. And, and let me just say, if you claim to be saved, but yet you can wake up every day and do all the things you used to do with no remorse, no, no guilt, no, no sorrow, you better stop and you better check things out. Because if you don't have a struggle within you over doing the old things we used to do, something's not right. Something rotten is in Denmark. A new desire will begin to take hold in our life. A desire to do those things that the Holy Spirit reveals to us as God's will for our life. These are the things we'll want to do. And the effect of God's grace allows us to choose to live in the new creation, in the new man. In Romans chapter 8, verses 1 and 2, Paul states, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law, <laughs> excuse me, of sin and death. So God has, has allowed us to live in that, in that new nature. He's allowed us to, 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 to yield to that new nature. And he's allowed us to choose to live for him rather than for flesh. We no longer sin because we are bound to sin and subject to the law of flesh. We now sin because we choose to sin. And that is so very important. I, I'm so tired of hearing people talking about what they do, like, like the devil tied them up and made them do it. You know, the devil can't do that to you. If you are a child of God, he, he, he's not given permission to do to you what he was given, what he was allowed to do before you got saved. When, when I sin, it's because I choose to sin, not because I have to sin. I choose to sin. Because according to, according to Romans chapter 8, Christ has made us free from the law of sin and death. We've been freed from the burden of the law of sin and death. But what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that we have been set free from the consequences of sin and death. It means that we have been set free from the heavy, impossible burden of keeping the law. It means that we have been set free from the threat of eternal separation and damnation. But it does not mean that we are free from the temptation of sin. It does not mean that we are free from the desire to sin. We better, we better get that straight. We've been set free from the consequences of our sin. We've been set free with being hell. We've been set free, uh, as I said, from the, from the impossibility of keeping the law. And we've been set free from the eternal separation of God. But the flesh still dwells with us. We still dwell in the flesh. And we will still face temptations on a constant basis. And all of this, not because we deserve or have earned the freedom that we've been given. Rather because of God's sovereign will to redeem us and to set us free. Now, we must stress that we have not been given a license to sin. A license to ignore the Mosaic law. Rather, we have now been enabled or empowered, if you will, to obey the law. We have been given the empowerment. We have been powered by God through Christ Jesus. We've been given the ability to obey the law, the choice to make to obey the law by the power given to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Whereas before we could do nothing more than obey the flesh and its lusts, we have now been given power over the flesh. We have been given the power to deny the flesh and to live in the spirit. Rome, uh, Paul tells us in Romans 8.13, if, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now, I want to stop for a moment and identify this word mortify. What does it mean to mortify? I think I put the definition on your study sheets. I'm not sure. To mortify means to subdue, to abase, to humble, to reduce, and to restrain. That's what the word mortify means. So, in other words, God, God has instructed us through the Holy Spirit to mortify the deeds of the flesh, to, to subdue the, the, the flesh, the body, to abase the flesh and the body, to humble the flesh and the body before God, to reduce the authority and the power of the flesh, to restrain its, its power over us and its authority. God is a direct result of his grace and mercy 
has limited the flesh and made it powerless against the new nature he has given us. Obviously, he has not destroyed the flesh. It's still, it's still with me today. My flesh is still with me. It's ever present with me. Nor has he taken it away from us. He has made the flesh subservient, if you will, to the new nature. In other words, the flesh, if, if, if we live in the, in, the, in the nature of Christ, the flesh must obey that nature. He has made it subservient to the new nature, giving us power and authority to rule over our own flesh through our submission to Jesus Christ, not by any virtue of our own. I haven't been made Superman. And upon salvation, I haven't been, I haven't been, I haven't conquered the flesh. I've been given the power through Jesus Christ to subdue my flesh. But that is a constant battle. Do you understand that? It's a battle you can't take a vacation from. Because the moment you begin to think that you've conquered the flesh and you step away from that submission to Christ and you, you try to live on your own, in your own power, guess what happens to the flesh? It pops right back up there and grabs hold of you again. And you, you sin and you stop and you say, what have I done? How foolish have I been? We've been given the power and authority to rule over our flesh through the submission to Jesus Christ and by yielding ourselves to his Holy Spirit. In Galatians 5.16, Paul writes this, I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit. What does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Well, we, I taught several lessons on that. There are several things involved in that. It's, it's, it's awareness of who we are and what God has done for us. It's, it's, it's submission to the Holy Spirit and all these things. This is the first step in living your life to the glory of the Father. And unless we learn this, we will never be able to control the flesh long enough to live a life that glorifies God. Now, without being unkind to anyone, why do so many people miss church? Well, it's because they have no control over their flesh and the desires. They, they, haven't, they haven't learned to yield to the Holy Spirit. They haven't submitted to the, to the authority of God in their life. <laughs> And so they don't, they don't have the power and the ability. They don't understand how to conquer the flesh and make the flesh do what, it, what they want it to do. So they make choices. On Sunday morning, for instance. <coughs> do we have anything else to do today? No? Okay, well, I guess we can go to church then. Listen, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back or anything, but when I got saved back in November 1981... I decided right then and there where I would be every Sunday morning. Amen? Where else, where else should a Christian be? Where else should a Christian be than in the house of God on the Lord's day? Oh, <laughs> I'm sick. Well, sit in, the, sit in a pew along the wall back there and don't breathe on anyone. John Harrison, God bless him, when, he's, when he was sick, he came in with a mask on his face. To make sure nobody caught his germs. But he was here. You can be sick sitting in a pew back there just as well as you can be at home. Huh? There's no excuse for missing church, folks. I'm sorry. God's not going to accept any of the excuses we give him. I've taken vacations with my family. And apart from when we travel four states away, I, took my, I, I started my vacation on Monday morning and ended on Saturday night so I could be in church on Sunday. 
You see, we live in a generation of people that have, have blown off church and have decided all these, all these excuses are okay. But I, I don't see God's word saying it's okay. Oh, man, I'm preaching to a bunch of dead cattle this morning. No, 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 no. We've been given the power. We've been given the power to choose to do right. So when we sin, let's don't mistake it. Let's don't, let's don't try to label it. We, we've chosen to do it. We've chosen to do it. Six days shalt thou labor, the Lord says. The seventh is holy unto him. We just need to understand this, that, that we, have, we have, have, have to conquer the flesh. We have to control the flesh. We will have short spans where we control the flesh. If, if we fail to live our life in submission to the Holy Spirit of God, we will have short spans where we control the flesh. But we will never conquer the flesh until we understand that God has already done so for us. And this, I believe, is the way to escape, he mentions in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, where he states, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. And I believe that this empowerment that God has given us, this ability he's given us through the new creation within us, this is our way to escape. When we live our lives to the glory and the edification of God the Father. So now, if God loves us and he does, and if he protects us and he does, then why would God allow us to face temptations unless he has already given us the victory over them? Would any of you in this room allow your child, or if you are a grandpa like me, allow your grandchildren to face danger unless you knew it cannot harm them? Would you stand by and watch your child heading towards something that's going to destroy them and just say nothing and do nothing to protect them? Would you do that? I mean, my wife and I go around our house and put pads on everything we can find that might hurt the grandkids. Before the grandkids come over to play in the backyard, she makes me go in the backyard and clean it completely. Get all anything that can hurt them out of the way. Make sure there's no holes in the fence they can climb through. I got to kill every bee in the backyard. Why? Because we, we love that child and want to protect it. Now, is the child going to get hurt? Sure. The child's going to have accidents and get hurt in life. But as grandparents, we do everything within our power to protect that child and to make sure that doesn't happen. And God, am I a better grandfather? Am I a better father than God? And God would never put his children in a place to where they face temptation and they have no choice but to fail. He provides a way for us to conquer. He provides a way for us to escape. And that is through his own power dwelling within us in the person of the Holy Spirit. So now, this morning, I think we've effectively established the fact that we are indeed changed by salvation, that we are affected by the, the great commission given to us. So, in what ways are we affected? With the time I have left, let me share just three thoughts with you. First of all, it has established our purpose. It has established our purpose. If you would, turn with me to Acts chapter 1. In verse 8, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, just a couple of books back toward the front. And here we read from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But ye shall receive power. 
Here's Jesus telling us, We shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And here we, we see the definition of our purpose is to be witnesses unto Jesus Christ. Why are we here? I've been asked that question many times over the year, over, the, over my life. Why are we here? What, what, what's life all about? Th- this question is asked by everyone at one point in their life. Every one of you, at some point in your life, you've asked yourself that question. Why in the world am I here? What's, what's, what's my life all about? Well, to, un- to the unsaved man, life is all about himself. It's all about money. It's all about pleasure, fame, power. And these are the things that consume the life of the natural man, of the unsaved man. In Psalm chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, we read, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all going aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. And before we get too comfortable in our skin, let me remind you, such were all of us. None of you were born saved. At some point in all of our lives, we were these filthy men. We were these foolish men. You say, oh, I never, I never said there is no God. Sure you have. Every time you've committed a sin in the sight and presence of God, with the knowledge that God is watching you, every time you do that, you are, in essence, saying, there's no God. Huh? Did you ever think of that? No, we don't think of that. You see, we, we think, oh, well, we just made a little mistake, Lord. You'll forgive me for my little mistake, right? Well, little mistakes send people to hell. Amen? There's no little mistake when it comes to sin. And when we sin, even as believers, when we sin in our heart, we're saying, no, God. I can do my thing. I can do what I want. No, God. So we're all this foolish men. Until the Lord awakened us from darkness and brought us into his marvelous light, we were all the same as this. And now he has commanded us. And he has established us that we will be witnesses under this world of his grace and salvation. We are here to glorify God. We are here to worship God. We are here to praise his holy names. But these are actually things that we can do from heaven's shore. Right? We can glorify God as we stand in heaven. We can praise God from heaven. We can, we can worship God, and we will worship God when we get to heaven. But the reason he has left us here is to be a witness unto him. That we can't do from heaven. You can't witness from heaven. I mean, the rich young ruler in hell, Right? What did, he, what did he tell Abraham? He said, send Moses that, that my brothers might believe. And no, 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 it doesn't work that way. You can't witness for Christ from heaven. 
You can only be a witness for Christ as your two feet are planted on this earth and you live from day to day. That's the only way we can be witnesses for Christ is on this earth. And this is the reason that God has left us here is to be a witness unto him. And the Great Commission affects us because it establishes the reason we're here. We're not here to make a bunch of money. I think you ought to make as much money as you can to support your family the best way that you can. But that's not why you're here. You are here to be a witness for Christ. Are you a witness unto Christ? Do you take a part of your life and go out and talk to those around you and witness to people for the glory of God and about about the the glory of Christ? That's our purpose. That's why we're here. We are here to be witnesses unto Christ. And this is affected, this affects us through the Great Commission where we are commanded to go and to preach. But not only has it affected us by establishing our purpose, but secondly, it has enabled us to perform. The Great Commission has enabled us to perform. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, we read, And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of of disease. Throughout the scripture, whenever we find that the Lord has sent his people out, what has he sent with them? His power. He's empowered them. He's enabled them to do what they otherwise could not do. You know, I used to be amazed when I'd go bus visiting on Saturday, and I'd go bus calling, and knock on the doors of complete strangers, and say, hey, would you give me your kids on Sunday? And they'd say, sure. Huh? I've always been amazed. I've always been amazed by the fact that people don't know me. They don't know anything about me. Yet they give me their kids out their door on Sunday morning, and 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 let me take them for for four hours. In most cases, it was five, six hours sometimes before their kids came home. I even ended up with kids that the parents didn't say could come. I had that happen a few times. We were having a we were having a Halloween Sunday one year, and uh, and and kids all dressed up in costumes. Now, you may not agree with that, but we did it, and I'll repent later. But anyway, some little kid comes running out of the house in his pajamas and jumped on my bus. And I looked at him, and I didn't know who he was, but I said, it's costume, I guess. And we went to church. Came back six hours later. I let the little kid out at the door, and he runs in, and his mom didn't even know he was gone. She hadn't even missed him. It's, it's always amazed me how... People do those things, and I'll tell you, it's nothing short of God's power. It's God's influence and God's effect upon people. And you and I, as witnesses for Christ, you, you'd be, listen, you just get out there and do it, and you'll be amazed at the things you see happen. When you step out in faith and put your faith in the Lord, you'd be amazed at the things that start happening around you. And that's the power of God. God has enabled us to perform, to do that which he's told us to do. We read it a few moments ago in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, but ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And we have, we have been given power by God, not to better ourselves, but to do the work of the ministry. Without the power given us by Christ through the Holy Spirit, we would not be able to do the work we have been called to do. God does not call us to do anything unless he gives us the power to succeed. And a commission is a charge to perform a duty. 
It is given by an authority, and the power to perform it is supplied by the authority. And God, by his commission to us, has empowered us to do that which he has called us to do. So don't sit there and say, well, I, I, just, can't, I just can't go witness. I just, that's just not me. I can't do that. I know it's not you. Of course it's not you. It's not me either. And I can't do it, I can't do it either. If I, if I try to go out and, and witness people, I can't succeed. But God would succeed. And God succeeds using me by his own power. And that's the approach we have to take. So go forth with confidence and go forth with boldness because your labors are not in vain. And then thirdly this morning, how has the commission affected us? It has obligated us to obey. It has obligated us to obey. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, we read, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. In Acts chapter 5 we read, And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, saying, Did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine, and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And in verse 29 we hear, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God. Rather than men. We are obligated. To obey God. We are obligated to obey him by virtue. Of the salvation we, we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I must obey. You must obey today. Why? Because the consequences of failing to obey. Are too dear. They're too great. You know every time we fail to obey God. Something bad happens. Right? Every time man disobeys God. Something bad happens. I always used to teach my teenagers. Every decision you make. Bears a consequence. You need to understand that. There's no such thing as small decisions. Every decision you make. Every one of them bears a consequence. Sometimes the consequences are good. If it's a good decision, you have good consequences. If it's a bad decision, guess what? You have bad consequences. And whether they're good or bad, you have to face the consequences. So make good decisions. Stop and think before you choose. And that, that applies not just to teenagers, but to us too, as parents, as grandparents, as, as employers, as employees. Every decision we make needs to be done with, with a certain gravity about it. Understanding that what we, what we choose to do is going to have an effect. I mean, think about it for a moment. What was the consequences of Adam and Eve's poor decision? Hmm? Eve made a poor decision by listening to Satan. Adam made a poor decision by listening to his wife. But what are the consequences of, those, of that decision? It's affected you, right? It's affected me. It's affected my little grandchildren and everybody else in life. What about Saul? King Saul made a, made a poor decision. He disobeyed the Lord. What were the consequences of Saul's disobedience? Well, for one thing, the death of his son Jonathan is, is, is Saul's fault. His own death 
and the deaths of thousands and thousands of, of, of Jewish soldiers, all based upon Saul's disobedience and, and, and causing God to remove his hand of blessing from the people of Israel. And of course, let's not forget Jonah. What are the consequences of Jonah's disobedience? Eric, you like to fish. You ever been swallowed by one of the fish you're trying to catch? <laughs> Boy, what a sight that must have been. I'd have loved to have been a seagull flying around in the air and watch this happen. What a sight that must have been. And then I'd like to have been another seagull standing on the shore when the, when the whale vomited him out. And see him bleached whiter than a sheet. Probably no hair left on his head. You know, if you don't know it or not, a, a, a fish's stomach has, has acid. To, to dissolve the food. And Jonah was, was lunch for a while. But what are the consequences of these people's disobedience to God? Now stop for a moment and think about your own life. Think back for a moment. Be serious. Could you sit here and, and, and share with us some bad consequences from some of your dis- moments of disobedience to God? I know every one of you could. I certainly could. We need to learn to walk circumspectly. To be careful about every decision we make. To stop and think before we act. Or before we speak. And to make sure that we obey God. Because we are obligated to obey. Now there are, of course, the Bible does give us examples, good examples of men who obeyed. Abraham. Abraham's called the father of the faithful. When, when challenged by God to, to sacrifice his own son, he obeyed the God. Didn't disobey God. Joseph. Joseph could have easily been bitter, right? Betrayed by his brother, sold into slavery. Yet Joseph never sinned against God during all the time that he went through those trials. Daniel. The Bible says that after Daniel knew the law had been passed, he obeyed God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego... As they stood before King Nebuchadnezzar and refused to worship his image, they said, we're not afraid to answer you. We're not going to worship your image. You can throw us in the furnace if you will, but God will deliver us from you. And they obeyed God. And we see the consequences of their obedience. So today we've, we've all been affected by the Great Commission. It's established our purpose It's given us a purpose for being here as witnesses of Christ. It's enabled our performance through the power of the Holy Spirit. We have the power to do the will of God. And it has obligated us to obey. And these are simple lessons, but they're lessons that people tend to forget. So as we go our way today, I pray that you take these truths that were given and that you would learn to walk in the power and authority of God. And that you would, you would establish your purpose in life as a witness of God. And be faithful in all these things. Alright folks, uh, we're going to go ahead and dismiss it this time. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Berean Baptist Church of Ronan Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275. Or write to us at Berean Baptist Church. 6298 Country Club Drive, Ronert Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us on the World Wide Web 
at www.bebaptist.org.